ladies and gentlemen, QED, you cannot talk honestly about education reform if you do not try to eliminate all those practices which make children less than they might be. Did you assume that child abuse means sexual abuse? In fact, a lot of the methods used in public schools constitute not sexual but cognitive abuse. The great educator Siegfried Engelmann calls it open quote academic child abuse close quote. That's where your brain and your personality are scrambled. Here's the point. If you teach children in ways that don't work very well, you are abusing that child. For example, if after years of reading instruction, students still can't read, they have been robbed of many years and of their future. Are these not criminal offenses? Yes, they are. Cognitive abuse can be seen in reading, math, and all content subjects such as history, science, geography. Some methods get better results. If the school uses the inefficient ways, that's an abusive relationship. Here's the bad news. This sort of abuse, academic and intellectual, is commonplace. Sexual abuse is, of course, more traumatic and dramatic, more of a violation. On the other hand, cognitive abuse affects tens of millions of Americans, often for many years. The abuse starts in elementary school and goes right up into the middle years. It's a vast, silent plague. Now, progressive education has, for 100 years, tried to mess with the brains of children. They are supposed to have certain attitudes, specific feelings, and a passion for being cooperative. Progressive educators, no matter how they address, tend to be meddlers in white lab coats. They think it's their prerogative to rewrite children in order to reach ideological goals. A lot of drugs are prescribed in public schools. Exercise is often limited. Cumbersome, hard-to-learn methods infect every classroom, especially in Common Core. Character is underlined in many ways. Find a class that's underperforming, and you will probably find academic child abuse. The people in charge of our public schools are con artists. Don't help them. Don't give them more money. Now let's play who's an accomplice. If you are a leader in a cultural institution of any kind and you're not using your institution to fight for better practices in our schools, you are an accomplice. If you are a politician who accepts Common Core, you are an accomplice. If you are an editor in the media and you don't investigate the dysfunctional practices in the local schools, you are an accomplice. If you are part of the Chamber of Commerce and you're not pushing the local schools to do better, you are an accomplice. If you are a teacher and you let sight words and other ineffective methods be used in your classroom, you are an accomplice. If you are a community leader and you don't take a look, a close look at all the weak methods embedded in the local schools, you are an accomplice. The education establishment can't do a mediocre job by itself. It needs your support especially if you are a wealthy, successful, or powerful person. If you support bad practices in schools or look the other way, you are part of the problem, i.e., an accomplice. John Dewey 
and his successors up to this day are engaged in an ideological quest. Millions of children are being damaged. Future citizens are being stunted. No American should put up with this. Don't be an accomplice. If you keep giving these people more money without asking for concrete success, then you are an accomplice. Take the time to understand these issues at least a little. Why don't sight words work? Why is direct instruction so much more efficient than constructivism? Why is memorization and practice so helpful? All of the bad stuff is part of John Dewey's war against children. Don't be an accomplice to the war against children. Thank you. Overview. Let's fix education explores seven of my favorite themes. First, this podcast is a meditation on what I call the K-12 crime scene. So many destructive ideas. Understanding them is the key to fixing them. Two, by doing that we will have better schools at less cost. Three, nothing much changes decade to decade. The big questions of the 1930s were the big questions of the 1960s and the 1990s. Any subject we discuss can easily intersect with any other subject. Most people instinctively want traditional education, but the education establishment fills classrooms with progressive gimmicks. The result is that we have a standoff, and that's why you run into the same ideas over and over. Four. The big brains in education keep telling students, don't bother memorizing this or that. You can look it up later. B.B. King, the great guitarist, is much smarter. He said, the beautiful thing about learning is nobody can take it away from you. Five, Lenin's ghost wanders through our school system. The hard left thinks big. If they have to kill millions of people to build their perfect society, that's okay. Same goes for dumbing down millions of students. Totalitarians want power. They will do anything to get it. Six, if we are going to survive, we have to take each child to his or her limit. As it is, we are creating millions of subeducated students from K right through college. Seven, analyzing education, especially dysfunctional education, is a lot more intellectually interesting than most people suppose. You'll enjoy this. Finally, P.S. My book, Saving K-12, runs parallel to everything discussed on this podcast. I also have an education site, improve-education.org, with 70 articles that complement everything discussed here. And I have hundreds of articles on the Internet. Enter a topic in Google with my full name, Bruce Dietrich Price, and let Google make suggestions. Thank you for visiting.